Let's go! The Football Frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Willie's here, Cofield, Demont helping out on a Friday. Football frenzy up here in just a second. College basketball is coming up. That's why we're on early. We'll get out of the way at four o'clock for the Sweet Sixteen. Westwood One providing the coverage for ESPN Las Vegas. St. Peter's upset Darling, fifteen seed, goes at four oh nine against Purdue, catching thirteen, and then uh, Providence will try to pull the upset on the only one seed left. In the tournament, Kansas, as Providence is getting seven in that one, those regionals in uh, Philly and Chicago. And reminder, we have a regional here next year. So it's another one of those breakthrough events. It'll never happen in Las Vegas. Gambling, sports gambling, it's evil. Nope. Next year, Fortress hosting a regional. How cool is that going to be? It's going to be great as long as it's not on the first weekend. No, it's actually a regional, so it's it's the Sweet oh, the, Sixteen. The, the, it's yeah. Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. In the, yeah, I have yeah. to look at the other three cities, but yeah, we're getting it. That's going to be tremendous. Can you imagine? Think about the books and the revenue of across the board: casinos, restaurants, right? Those servers that are making money and their tips. Uh, that that happens on the first weekend every single year for how many years, Steve? The tourists come in on. Uh, I mean, to some degree. It's as big as, and it's just as anticipated as Super Bowl weekend here in Las Vegas, the first weekend of the NC2A tournament. Now, now we're going to have two massive weekends in a row. How cool is that? Yeah, next year, uh, first and second round, Orlando, Birmingham, Ugh. Des Moines. Sure. What a nightmare. A lot of and Sacramento at the uh, new arena there. And then regionals. Wait, check that. I didn't, I didn't give all the uh, the first and second round. Also, Albany, Greensboro, Columbus, and Denver. And then the regionals, us at the Fortress, MSG. That's cool. Louisville and Kansas City. So UNLV? I'll give, them, I'll give them one free pop. Big weekend for, uh, since I already pay them for my phone, uh, big weekend for T-Mobile. T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, T-Mobile Center, because it used to be the Sprint Center in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Damn. UNLV gets in, it gets a Sweet 16, gets to play here? You know, let's hope, because I will Put your get into the on. story. No, I'm going to get into the story of, uh, again, when we start to talk about what UNLV can be in basketball, and people always try to freaking throw cold water on it, uh, Houston is a very similar program in terms of history and conference to UNLV. So yeah. Houston is the standard for mid-majors. I mean, Gonzaga at, this point, Gonzaga at this point is not a mid-major because they recruit with their resources on the level of Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, UCLA, and others like Oregon, now Arkansas, Texas. Well, no, and back then when UNLV hit its peak after going to the Final Four the second time in 87 with Mark Wade, Freddie Banks, Eldridge Hutchins, Armand Gilliam, that group, from that point till the second Final Four, the loss to Duke, UNLV wasn't necessarily considered a mid-major. 
Just like the, the conference they, they broke, they broke from the major ranks. Yeah. Just like just like Wichita, frankly, with Craig Marshall. Yep. You know, before we yeah. found out that he was screaming at his kids and getting violent with them because of the Koch brothers' money was not really a mid major. All right. Football. So We've been talking about Devontae Adams all week, and we got our first impressions of him. He met mm-hmm. with you guys, the collection of media. I saw him do some one-on-ones with Raiders.com, some other interviews. Give me your impression of what you saw and what you heard. Um, other than, I, you know, I could tell that he's really excited to be here when he told this story about, someone asked him about coming into the facility and seeing the locker room and his area, his locker and, and whatnot. And he actually said that he had to turn around and go back out of the facility and leave and start over because they forgot to film that. You remember that DeMonte? So he had to, cause, cause in this day and age, you got to get everything on, on the, on the phone uh, camera video it. So he has his support team with him and they did it all over again. He said, I had to act, you know, like the first time I walked in and, was wide-eyed and everything. And I kind of thought that was neat because it was it showed a human side to where he's he's really excited. Like he you know, he was elated to be here. There was there was it it, it overcame him that that happiness, that joy that I want to get it on film. I want to get the picture. It's like, you know, it's like doing selfie. It's like doing a mini photo shoot when you feel you look good, so you break out the camera. He wanted to get everything on video and he started over and he did it all over again. And um he said he was happy to be here. There were a lot of key points in the press conference. I believe it was around 19 minutes. There were key points that stood out to me, and I guess the biggest thing for me is, is that you could really tell that he was a veteran, uh, the professionalism that he spoke with, the calm and the poise that he detailed with every single question, the eye contact he made with the person that asked that question, and then the patience that he had to answer it in detail with a solid quote. He didn't repeat a lot of what he said within the same answer. Um, it was it was very impressive to that degree. He he touched on family. He touched on his wife and uh, he touched on quality of life and, and and at this point in his career and and as a father and as a husband, not just as a receiver, but at this point where he needed to look at quality of life, where he wanted to be, where he wanted to settle, where he wanted to live. It. And I'm sure mentioned his family that now they yeah. can actually come and see him. They're not you know yes. two thousand miles away in Northern California from Green Bay. That too, that too. Well, I, I like. I'm and I'm usually not not going to say I'm not big on this, but I don't mention it because in the end, you never really know. But um, I'm big on the fact that he came across as an adult. Right? Yeah. It's not Henry Ruggs. It's not, you know, a jackass like Antonio Brown. He's got a family. He has what a child now and he's got another child on, on the way. way. Yep. So we shouldn't have someone driving 156 miles an hour on Rainbow, hopefully. Right? right? And for people out there who are like, what, what what do you mean? Like, okay, with what the Raiders have been through on the ground here in Vegas, it was time to start cleaning up things and make sure when you're bringing in faces of the franchise that they're mature individuals. Now, no, but we'll, we'll see. I, we, still, we still have to see about Chandler Jones because Chandler Jones did have a fake weed thing back in 2016, and unfortunately his brother is the UFC's John Jones, who is an idiot seemingly uh, most of the times he comes to Vegas. So hopefully Chandler isn't going to have any of those issues. He's an older guy too, so hopefully he's learned his lesson. But I thought it was really important in the offseason for – a little bit of a pivot here 
to make sure that, you know, and I like Mike Mayock, but it, it still blows me away that after, you know, Arnett and all that stuff that Mayock's like, well, we knew we had some red flags. Well, then why did you draft him 30 slots ahead of where he's supposed to be drafted and bring him to Vegas, a brand new community? Well, and I wanted to keep it there uh, as far for as the, the NFL, character issue. Community. For the character issue. It's not just bringing in the right characters, plural. You bring in a guy like this who is a veteran who's now largely considered the best receiver in the league, and he's a family man. Now, I'm not saying that the younger guys are going to want to go get married and get a family, but they're going to look at the model, the mentor that him and now Derek Carr, a family man, they're going to see these things, and that's what they're going to want to model their career after. I mean, heck, we were in here for 10 minutes, and you're ready to go squat with me and Damon. We had an influence on you. We got... The best receiver in the league. You got the <laughs> the captain of great the team. example. We got the captain. I was of like, the- I'm left out. I'm not a lifting bro. <laughs> exactly. So these guys are going to. They're providing a little bit more of the picture of what you want in a character on the team. What it takes, right? To 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 sort of be a successful professional athlete, not be a fool out in the streets. So I don't have right now. We still have free agency, a lot of time left, mm-hmm. and we have the drafts. Right now, if you made me pick, I don't have the Raiders winning the division, but I certainly have them in the mix to win it. I'll tell you where I have Kansas City in a couple of minutes. We're going to go out to KC, talk to a former receiver of the Chiefs, Mark Bo Richter, and. Get the story of what's going on on the ground in Kansas City. If they're freaking out, if the signing of uh, MVS, their new speed guy, much bigger, has calmed everyone down. But post Tyreek Hill, what are the Chiefs going to be? We'll find out from a former Chief. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. So Chiefs to win the AFC West is plus 125. I was just looking at numbers to make the playoffs. Would you bet the Chiefs minus 220 to make the playoffs? Minus 220? Yes. No. You wouldn't? No. Oh, we got another bet going. We're going to have a lot of bets lined up, and we're going to make sure they're locked down. We're going we're gonna to get the verbiage, and the Vast Sound crew is going to start pulling these bets. But before we make it official, mm. we can hash that out. We need to talk to a former Chief, and maybe he'll change your mind or change mine. Mark Borichter played wide receiver for the Chiefs, CFL star. Mark is up on Cofield and Company. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you guys this afternoon? Uh, we're good. We're doing what we usually do, which is argue about football and then make lots of bets that no one pays off. <laughs> That's our show. It's a very, very, uh, very thrilling, very detailed. Uh, before we get to all the football, I got to ask you, um, what is Kansas City? What is the area like when uh, Kansas is involved in a big spot like they are? Um. Well, it's- Depends on, I guess, which side of the state line you are, right? Yep. Whether you're a Missouri fan or a Kansas <laughs> fan. But uh, I, I think, you know, this is an interesting Kansas team, just as, uh, as we're talking about it, I guess, that uh, I don't think a lot of people had a ton of high hopes for overall. But now they're the last remaining number one seed, uh, of course, in the tourney. And, and I think hopes are high for them. Uh, it's a Friday night. Uh, if you're a KU fan here in Kansas City, only one thing is happening tonight, and that's watching uh, the KU Providence game. Oh, yeah. It's massive. It's massive. Uh, people will uh, not, you know, not think about the Chiefs for a couple of days because of KU basketball. So let, let's talk about the Chiefs. First of all, 
Uh, what's your reaction? Did you see it coming? I know there was a weird tweet about a week ago with Tyreek Hill, but what's your reaction to Tyreek now being gone for a couple of days and being sent off to the Dolphins? Well, I think in some ways it's shocking and in some ways it's not. Right? I think you know when you look at Tyreek Hill, he is the most explosive football player I've ever seen. And I made a reference to this earlier this week here in Kansas City that you know you can go back and look at the, the old days of Jim Brown, right, running running the football as an explosive player. But in the modern era, I don't think there's ever been a player that's as explosive as, as Tyree Kill is and as much of a game changer at the wide receiver position, <clears throat> specifically right now. Uh, Kansas City obviously is up in arms. A lot of the fans are about the situation. But when I look at it, you know, it traces back to a year ago when this team was signing Joe Tooney, um, making some moves, restructuring some contracts, and they wanted to extend Tyreek Hill last year for some cap relief, and he said no. And when he said no, it kind of was a blip on the radar here a little bit, I think, in Kansas City. But as you look at it now, he bet on himself and wanted to play out his current deal and didn't want to take a hometown discount. And and I know that they were close here a few weeks ago, potentially to a deal in Kansas City. And then free agency happened. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I, I firmly believe if, if they would have got this deal done or, or Tyreek Hill would have said, hey, this deal that was offered to me here in Kansas City is a really good deal. It's going to pay me as a top five receiver in the league. I'm, I'm willing to take it. But, you know, Drew Rosenhaus is his agent. They sat around, uh, and it became a stalemate. And you see what Christian Kirk got to go from the Arizona Cardinals to Jacksonville. You see what some of these other receivers got. And then you see, obviously, the Devontae Adams deal to to Las Vegas. And the market reset itself. And I don't think the Chiefs were willing to go quite as high to make him what he wanted, which is to be the highest-paid receiver average per year in the National Football League, and at that point then it became a business decision for the Chiefs. We can either stalemate this out and, and, and this could become a little bit ugly and, and have this hanging over our head for a while in the offseason, or we can clear you know, close to $20 million in cap room right now and trade him to the Miami Dolphins for a nice haul of picks. And, and that's what happened. And I, I completely understand the decision. A lot of fans here in Kansas City are up in arms about it. It's a big piece that you just can't replace. Uh, but I, this team has more needs than, than just having Tyreek Hill as your number one wide receiver. This team has a lot of needs that they need to make, uh, a lot of moves that they potentially need to make in, in rebuilding the use of this franchise and, and the roster. I think they've only got like 17, 18 guys under contract through 2023. Um, and so they need to acquire some picks, and they were able to do that. Are the fans mad at the organization or Tyreek Hill? I, to be honest with you, I think it's a little of both. Yeah. I really do. I, there's a lot I think that that have said, why didn't why didn't the Chiefs organization do more and just go ahead and pay him that type of deal here in Kansas City? And there's 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 some that are like, you know, he's 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 greedy and and went, you know went the direction he did. But as you guys know, I mean, look, this is his third contract, obviously in the National Football League. They 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 maximize the Chiefs organization maximized every ounce out of his previous extension. When they stood by him through, you know, a couple of years ago with, with the off-season issues that, that came up with the audio recording with his fiancée or the mother of his kids and, and everything else, and handed him an extension two years or, or a year later, I guess, after that, they maximized the value out of that. And 
And so I think when the dust settles here, I think Chiefs fans will be all right. I think it's that knee-jerk reaction of, oh, oh my goodness, you know, what are we going to do? But here we are sitting. It's still the end of March. There's a long way to go before the season hits and, and, and things will settle down. Speaking with Mark Bo-Richter, former Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver. Mark, one of the things that I'm hearing a lot is that it's obvious we know what Tyreek can do, his explosiveness and, and the, his speed, is how, what Patrick Mahomes is going to do without him based on what he does with his receptions. But when I look at yards after catch last year, Tyreek Hill ranked 109th in the NFL with 4.0 yards after catch per reception. Total yards, yards after catch, he ranks 17th with 444. Can Pat Mahomes move on from him easily? I don't know if he can move on easily, but this brings up, you know, to your question, it brings up the point of what happened this past year, right? This was still a top-five offense here in Kansas City. But the narrative, of course, across the entire you know, national media, even here in Kansas City, was, you know, teams were playing them differently on defense, right? A two-deep shell, we're not going to get beat over the top. And if there's one kryptonite to Patrick Mahomes in his game, it's the ability to stay patient. It's the ability to, you know, not necessarily become a check-down quarterback, but a guy that, that needs to take what's in the scope of the offense and, and not try to hit the big play all the time. He's a greedy football player as a quarterback. And then... We love that mentality here in Kansas City, right? But there also comes a point uh, that, that you've got to take what's there and, and hit the open guy. And, and I've always said in regards to Tyreek Hill, he's a guy, if you get the ball in his hands at, at 10, 15 yards down the field, he can, he can turn it into 65, 70 right now for a touchdown. And, and, and that's happened over the course of his career. And, you know, it's ironic that the last catch that, that he made at the Kansas City Chief was, was that type of play against the Buffalo Bills uh, late in that game. And, this offense needs to evolve a little bit to answer your question. And, and, and this is going to force, I think, them to, to come back to, to more of the West Coast offense basics. Uh, I know that sounds kind of kind of cliche and, and dumbs it down a little bit, but more within the general scope and structure of the offense. This is going to force them to do that a little bit more. I think this is what you're seeing with this move. You know, I don't think that she's ultimately wanted to make this move. It is what it is and turned into what the situation is, but – it's going to force them and it's going to force Patrick Mahomes to, to play within the scope of the offense and kind of reinvent themselves based on the way teams played them a year ago. Did you like and the, so I think, I'm sorry. I think that's going to be the biggest, the biggest thing for them. It's going to force that issue. Did you like the Raiders move, uh, you know, the trade of picks and then paying Devontae Adams $28 million a year? Yeah, I mean, I like the move. Um, it's not my money, right? Uh, but I, I also, I'm a huge fan of Devontae Adams. I don't think there's a, a better res- Obviously, Tyree kills you know one of the top receivers in the league, and, and Devontae Adams is right there with him. There's not a better receiver in terms of releases, getting off the football, and route running on the complete route tree than Devontae Adams. Um, and let's just look around the AFC West. Right, moves have been made all over the place with Khalil Mack, you know, to the Chargers. Uh, obviously, Chandler Jones coming to the Raiders, you know, with Max Crosby. All this, all these moves have been made. Right now, and everybody here in Kansas City specifically was worried about whether the Chiefs going to do. And of course, they trade away their biggest weapon. But I, I like the Devontae Adams move. You know, sometimes a change of scenery is is, is where you need to go. And, and you know, he's certainly a scary proposition for this Chiefs defense. Yeah, it is fascinating how it worked out. You know, Raiders trade for one of the best receivers in football. 
and then reset the market and, in a way, push Tyreek Hill out of the division. So it, it served uh, a couple of different purposes there. Uh, we got Mark Borector, who played for the Chiefs, wide receiver, is on the horn with us. Um, last couple things on the Chiefs. So they they signed uh, Valdez Scantling. Talk about him as a receiver. Super fast guy. I mean, obviously not uh, a Tyreek Hill type player. Um, from here, do they do they piece together with other guys? You know, like I, I think Juju Smith Schuster is actually a good signing. But do you think they go with more veteran receivers? Or are they now going to turn to the draft with all these picks to try to stockpile young receivers? Well, I don't think they're done necessarily yet on the veteran receiver side of things. Uh, I, I, I think there'll be a you know kind of an under radar, under the radar type of signing there potentially or a trade because they now have some you know additional picks to do it. I, I do like the, the, these two moves with Valdez Scantling and, and Juju Smith Schuster. You know, Juju obviously is here on a one year kind of prove it deal um, to kind of resurrect you know the years he had in Pittsburgh previous to this past year before getting injured. I like that move. I like this about this scaling signing. He's a he's a lot taller, I think, than people realize, right? And six three, and can really fly. And and he's a take the top off the coverage type of guy. He's not going to run a lot of intermediate routes. Um, he's not a tremendous route runner overall, but he can certainly take the top off for you and provide a deep threat. So I think that's a solid signing. You've got him on a multi year deal. Uh, but I think this this team will look to the draft. Um, you know, McCole Hardman's been a nice player for them. Uh, I think he gets a bum rap here in Kansas City a little bit for the type of player he is with the expectations because they moved up in the second round to, to draft him. But he's been a nice piece to the puzzle for them, and he'll continue to be a nice piece to the puzzle. The one thing that McCole Hardman won't do is go up and really compete for the football in a crowd. He's a finesse type of player, a little bit of a gadget type of player, but if you get him in space, you know, he can really do some damage. So, I think they're going to piece it all together. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see another, you know, veteran signing or a, or a trade for a, you know, kind of a third, number three, number four type wide receiver. But I certainly think they're going to address it in the draft. So I don't know if you were uh, calculating the numbers as I was throwing them out there before you came in, but right now the Chiefs are the favorite, still the favorite to win the AFC West at plus one twenty-five. Do you agree with that? I do. I do. I'll just say this: I think that you know, until somebody knocks them off, right, based on the streak that they've been on, it's tough to, it's tough to, uh, to bet against them. Uh, even with all the moves that have been made in the AFC West, I, I do think they're still the favorite. Who's the team they should fear the most in the division? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, I feel like, you know, I don't want to say the Chargers because everybody, every, it seems like every year lately, right, it's always been in the offseason. Like the Chargers are going to be the next team to step up and do some damage. Uh, I think it's the Raiders, and I'm not just saying that because you guys are sitting there in Vegas. Um, you know, with, with the new GM, and obviously you guys have been through a lot, or the organization has over the last year, but but they've got some pieces to the puzzle. My, my biggest question on the Raiders is, can they figure out the defensive secondary? Um, but I, I think the Raiders are, are a team in, in that, that really could challenge. You know, the Russell Wilson moves to Denver, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I know they were close, you know, for a while this year, even with the quarterbacks they had in Bridgewater and, and Drew Locke last year. But and they've got the young, talented roster, uh, obviously in Denver. But I, I think the Raiders are still, for me, the, the biggest threat. Andy Reid is the best coach in the AFC West. Who's the second best coach going to be? Ooh, <laughs> um, exactly. I'll take, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take Staley out in, in, uh, in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Um, All right. 
I'll tell you what, he's he's got a he's got a pair on him to you know to to go for on fourth downs a lot. Uh, I understand the analytics side of it. I get it, but you know. I think he's learned from his first year as a head coach. When, you, when we go back and watch, obviously the the Raiders Chargers game at the end, you know, of the season when it was like all you had to do was tie the game and you were in the playoffs. Um, you know, with some of the things he did, I think he's learned from that. But I think he's probably the second best. The draft is going to be big the next couple of years, especially for the Chiefs. Who's the best GM in the division? Uh that's a good question as well. I, I think I'll stick with Brett Veach right now. Okay. Um, just I'll, I'll be a homer and say that here in Kansas City. It's, this is going to be an interesting time, guys, here in Kansas City, because Brett Veach has been uber-aggressive in the draft. You know, he's moved up to get guys. He's willing to trade up. Um, you know, he made the move last year to, to get Orlando Brown Jr. here to play left tackle. Uh, now he's got all these picks at the disposal. My, my question, I guess, for, for Brett Veach is, you know, are you going to maximize and use these picks and draft a lot of guys to build for the future here, or continue to build for the future uh, in Kansas City? But I still think he's he's the best GM uh, in the in in the AFC West right now. And the draft is going to be massive for all four organizations because two years from now, and it might be that'll probably be two years from now, all four of the quarterbacks are going to be making probably thirty five million dollars plus. And when the yeah. quarterback takes up that much, and then you've got other major stars, you have to have depth and young guys and you have to get that out of the draft like you can't like the Raiders Raiders been okay this last year with Gruden and Mayock was a disaster in the first and second rounds for the most part um you really you you can't miss on a lot of draft picks when your quarterback is making that much money you can't and I think the biggest miss for Brett Beach here in Kansas City was the Breland Spigs pick uh I think that was what 2018 uh was their first pick that year Took Breland speaks, and obviously he's no longer here. But this past draft class, and you guys know this, the draft is there's so much risk involved with all of it anyway. But this past draft class, uh, the 2021 draft class here in Kansas City, um, was you know a, a really good one, especially their high picks. They took Nick Bolden, who became a, a tremendous player on defense, a middle linebacker. Creed Humphrey, uh, arguably may have been what, had one of the best years of a center in the entire league. As a rookie, um, there's a foundation there with that. Legarius Sneed, who's been a tremendous player uh, in the secondary, they got him in the late round uh, here in Kansas City, and, and he's going to play on that rookie contract. But they, they do. They need to get some contributions out of some of these young guys on rookie deals. As the salary cap will continue to rise, but, but that cap hit will still still be there with the quarterbacks. As you're talking about, you got Justin Herbert, of course, out in, in Los Angeles, of course, Carr, and then Russell Wilson and, and Patrick Mahomes. This is going to be a fun division to watch. And I think we're all excited here in Kansas City for draft season. Um, you know, next year we get to draft here in Kansas City in 2023. So a lot of eyeballs will be here uh, on the next two years as to what Brett Beach does. Have they announced where they're going to do that? Yeah, it's going to be a combination uh, down by Union Station uh, where, um, for those around the country, I guess, that where the Royals Parade and the Chiefs Parade ended um, near the World War One Memorial. There's a huge grassy uh, grassy hill and stuff there. It's a, it's a tremendous setting for it, and I think they're going to use the T-Mobile Center here in Kansas City as well um, for some of the drafts, so it'll be a fun time. Damn, Kansas City's kind of kind of cool. Uh, next year, that means uh, you guys have a regional in March at your arena for the NCAA tournament, and then a yep. month later, yep. the draft. 
Yeah, it'll be a busy uh, busy month or so here in Kansas City next uh, next spring for sure. But you're still not Vegas. You're still not Vegas. Sorry. We have we have every That's event true. coming here. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> to rub it in. But uh, the difference is uh, the Chiefs have won and the Raiders have not won at the highest level yet. So in the end, that's uh, what most people care about. Mark, we appreciate it. Thanks for carving out some time on a Friday for us. Hey, thanks, fellas. I appreciate it. We'll talk, to you. We'll talk soon. There he is, Mark. Bo Richter, former wide receiver with the Kansas City Chiefs, does a bunch of radio there, some TV as well. Chiefs still the favorite, huh? How dare he? How dare he? Raiders the biggest threat? He did say the Raiders are the biggest threat, but he didn't say Josh McDaniels is the second-best coach. And he didn't say Dave Ziegler will be the best GM. So now I'm all confused. Telesco might be the guy. Yeah, we had the discussion the other day. Telesco's got a really good track record. Think about what's setting up here. This is going to be epic for like the next four or five years. Because the gap between the teams isn't that close. The draft is going to be massive. Working the salary cap every year, relief and freaking renegotiations and squeezing guys in. This is awesome. What was the last, if you could think, or, or let's think about it. Let's tease this out here. The last division that you can think of when it was this stacked, this competitive, where anything could happen. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. I don't care if the sun don't shine. I do my drinking in the evening time when I'm in Las Vegas. You can sit in the sun and camp. I get fat pack time, but I know if we go off into uh, fat pack land, we're going to forget about what Willie just said right before the break. So we got a fat pack issue to get into here in a second. Yeah. <clears throat> but before the break, you were setting us up for well, I'm just curious. The last time we saw a stacked division like we are facing for the 2022 season in the AFC West with the Chiefs, the Broncos, the Chargers, the Raiders. is one. Are we going to see a three-horse race and one of them fall off, or will all four be in it toward the end? I mean, last year I don't know know if we've ever seen it. the The one that comes to mind would be the NFC East, but there were periods where the you know the Cowboys weren't good in the middle of it. But basically, from the mid '80s to the whatever '96, '97, the NFC East was ridiculous. Yeah, with the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Giants, and the former Redskins, ridiculous. Yeah, all all four. Because I mean, because we've had seasons in the past recently where three teams. Right, this past year, the NFC West. Yeah. Uh, two years ago, AFC North. You had three teams with eleven wins, eleven wins, twelve wins. But the Bengals. By the, by the way, if if Tomlin is as good as a lot of us believe he is, or others out there who don't think he's good, which is ridiculous. He's never had a sub five hundred season. If he's as good as we think he is, and the Steelers are at least a five hundred team, the AFC North is going to be really good this year. The Bengals, I mean, who we were talking to someone yesterday about the Browns being the favorite. I'm like, wait a second. The Bengals just went to the Super Bowl. The Ravens are going to get back Lamar Jackson, and they just brought in a bunch of new free agents. So the AFC yeah. North is going to be really nasty because I expect the Steelers to at least be decent. You know, they've got, you certainly know they have talent on defense. So their defense is going to be good. Be and if Trubisky doesn't suck beyond belief, they should at least go 500. The, the big question for Cleveland is going to be 
is if Deshaun Watson is suspended and how long he will will he be That's suspended? That's a good point. I think the way to address your original question, you know, when's the last time we saw a division with four teams, you know, this good? You probably want to go back and and look when was the last time a division had four top twelve quarterbacks? Yeah, because that's one of the biggest keys. Like, has that happened before? And that and there's probably, probably someone listening right now who's like, "You idiots!" This year with you know, yeah, these but, teams. But that does take us back to the NFC East days. Yes. Okay. Are you celebrating the holiday today? I, I, I kind of made something and went against it. You did. Yeah. Uh, today is International Waffle Day. Yeah. Which uh, we've had the discussion on the show. We, of course, are the only sports talk radio show that talks about food and has had this discussion. So thank you, everyone else, for copying us. I'm kidding. The, uh, the producer jumps in on this. So get ready. Waffle v. French toast v. pancakes. I saw your poll. Not that. That sounded creepy. I saw your poll question. And. I voted for pancakes, which was trailing <laughs> just bad, really badly. Yeah. I'm a pancake guy. That's but I'm also, I'm a very, uh, even though I'm a gluttonous eater, I'm a very basic bread, bready product eater. So for me, French toast is a little too, and people are getting crazy with French toast. Some of the restaurants, some of the brunch places in town, I mean, it's like, I'm, I've, and I've explained a million times, I'm hyper, even at this age, I'm a lunatic. I get a little crazy, and from a young age, mom was like, you can't eat stuff like Fruity Pebbles. So when I see, like, Fruity Pebble waffles, I'm like, I can't, I can't do that because I'll, I'll just start shaking in, in place. Yeah, I think most people like it. I think it's waffles versus French toast, and pancakes is third. I'm I, the outlier. I agree. Okay. Do no, I'm pancakes. Are you? I'm pancakes. Nice. I'm with you, French toast. Get over yourself. You're doing too much. It's all when you think about it. It's also it's it's kind of. I mean, I like corned beef hash, which is leftovers. French toast really are leftovers. You're just dressing up kind of potentially old crappy bread. I mean, I think a lot of people use fresh bread, but it's really kind of a hey, let's repurpose the bread. So I've used different kinds of bread, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one here in a minute that you're gonna be like, oh, I gotta try this. But I've done with many breads. Now you know the Texas toast, the big thick ones that you're supposed to make like garlic bread, or I'll use that for French toast. Um, Regular bread, obviously. Today, I use Dave's Killer Bread. I know you're familiar with Dave's Killer God, Bread. God, don't, don't, please don't go down. <laughs> I hate the healthy bread discussions. It's just good bread. It's nothing, it's nothing. Super expensive, though. Yes. Yeah, it is super This expensive. is all you pricey. You can afford a thing or two if you're buying Dave's Killer Bread. But you, know, I'm going to tell you, make a, here's how you make a, you could do this with the SO. Here is a great way to make French toast. You ready? With banana bread. That's an interesting idea. It's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. All right. But I agree as far as like trying to concoct all these things. Leave the breakfast stuff alone. Just leave it as it's supposed to be. And by the way, French toast has to be done properly in order if you're going to make it at home. You can't just throw it in a in a skillet with some, you know, however. It's the got Adam to- Hill air fryer French toast? That's not the way to do it? No. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, I don't know if it is, but that's the only thing he can use right now. So, and that's an advance from where he was. Yeah, the culinary skills. We all, we, yeah, we've all tried. Have you done the? I still have not done the PB and J. Okay, so here's in the my air next fryer. question. I know French toast. It's toast. Do you put peanut butter on your regular toast? Do you put French? Do you put peanut butter on your French toast? No, that seems absurd. But it might be good. It's fantastic. 
So I did that today with the Dave's Killer. I put uh, uh, some some peanut butter and then sugar-free syrup topped with strawberries. So thick Belgian waffle on International Waffle Day or kind of thinner Waffle House waffle? No, I well, it just depends. On, I, I like the thick Belgian waffle. I don't like it. You like Eggos. Uh, I don't like Eggos either because a lot of times I'm too, in too much of a hurry. Again, I have like, I'm like going 100 miles an hour. I don't have the patience to put it leave in it in the toaster. It's always cold. Like I sit there and watch it because oh. I well, there's a fine line they with the, cold. Quick. No, there's a fine well that, but there's a fine because they're frozen. There's a fine line because those, those sons of bit the the ego waffles you put them in and the toaster either finishes and they're still a little bit cold in the middle, or you look away for forty seconds and you're like it's burnt. Crisp. I can't manage the toaster. <laughs> you turned it into a paperweight. Yes, it's the worst. I this is a sign of an old person. My issue lately with. The Belgian waffles is there, you know, you've got the big kind of like portals, right? For the, well, the problem is they get crusty and then it starts to hurt my mouth. Oh, that uh, could be tough. You got to, you got to have the timer right. I have, and the I'm one not a ho- big syrup guy, so I don't destroy it and make it all kind of moist. It's all so it's still crunchy. It's got to be dipped. The, I'm telling you though, the waffle, I've grown to love, and we don't have Waffle House here, but I've grown to love the thin waffles. They're just easier to eat. I don't need the syrup receptacles. I'm going to tell you the place in town. The puddles of syrup. I don't need it. Here's the killer old school Vegas breakfast joint that we used to go to six, seven in the morning straight from the club. And they have all the good breakfast you could get. All of it. French toast, pancakes, chicken fried steak, guava, you name it. Blueberry Hill. There's a few of them around town. We used to like the the Sam's Town... Now, you know what it was? It was actually the Boulder Station. Mm-hmm. I remember the waffles there. They were the they were the the bigger crusty ones. They had a late night buffet that mm-hmm. would start at like midnight and go until three o'clock in the morning. So you get done where wherever you are, mm-hmm. not at the club because I know you're, you're whatever you were whacked on back in the late eighties, early nineties. I wasn't a get whacked guy back then, aside from drinking. <laughs> But I would show up, you know, for the the late night buffet at like one a.m. I didn't need to be somewhere at six like oh. you. Well, I mean, rolling on whatever you were on. Just for the record, if you're whacked, you're probably not hungry. But that being said, uh, I'm when, always we were, hungry. when we were rolling out of the clubs, I was still young and innocent—17, 18, 19, 20. Still young and innocent. It was only—it was only alcohol back then. But we there the, the Frontier Hotel, the coffee shop. They had a back room, and it it, it sat, however, 25, 30 people, and we would bring everybody from either the dance contest at Tramps or the talent contest at Shark Club. And we'd roll in there with 15, 20 deep. And there was the same waiter all the time that worked that shift. And he would just tell every, he would just go through one by one. What are you, what are you hungry for? He wouldn't want to know anything off the menu. What are you hungry for? Steak and eggs. Okay. What are you hungry for? I, w- I want some chicken and waffles. I want some wow. chicken and steak. I want some ch- waffles. I want some pancakes. I want this. Whatever it would be. That's awesome. And then when the bill came, it was 32, if there was 32 of us, it'd be 32 $2.99 breakfast specials. No way. Oh, yeah. That's a hookup. And he got the big tip. Of course. Tease. That's old school Vegas right there. That's old school Vegas. Oh, you want to talk more tipping later on? I love, I love Willie's like, <laughs> tease. I guess we're talking about that in the Big Five. Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. NCAA tournament coming up. 
at 4 o'clock. We are on today from 1 until 4, so we'll get out of the way for the first couple of games of the Sweet 16, all four games. You'll hear in uh, parts, uh, courtesy of Westwood 1, right here on ESPN Las Vegas, St. Peter's, and Purdue. That number, 12.5, 13, Purdue is favored. After that, Kansas-Providence starts, and then the uh, later game, 6.30 and 6.50, North Carolina-UCLA. And then Otts. Oh, boy. TJ Altselberger, we'll get to that later on. Going against Miami is you got a 10 and an 11 playing in San Antonio. So Gonzaga out is one of the big stories. We'll get back to that in the big five. And Mark Few and what people think Gonzaga is and what Gonzaga really is from a recruiting and roster makeup standpoint. A lot of trash talk yesterday. The best story going, St. Peter's is cool, but St. Peter's can't win a national championship. Calvin Sanson and Houston can win a national championship, and not just this year. Remember, they made the Final Four last year, and they're going to be a powerhouse for years to come. What they're doing, I think, is shocking a lot of people, but too many people slept on the Cougars making the Final Four last year and thought it was a big fluke. It's not a fluke. Calvin Sampson's kind of filling the void that you know, Butler and Wichita, you know, they've exited the scene in terms of being mid-majors who could make a Final Four. Gonzaga is still there, and they're not really a mid-major because they recruit with top 10 programs in the country. But what Kelvin Sampson is doing is amazing. And I also think, I know a lot of people here have, you know, oh, you know, UNLV, it's never going to happen again. It can happen. It's happening at Houston. Houston had a great era in the 70s and 80s. They have a good support system for basketball. They landed the right guy. By the way, you if you remember, all the times that the UNLV job has been open, going back to Lon Kruger, every time it's been open, there's been national people. Now, Kelvin Sampson ain't going anywhere now, right? But there's been national people who have always had Kelvin Sampson on a list for UNLV. Yes. Which would have been a beautiful match. But the point is, UNLV can be Houston. Which if I had said that, you know, 30 years ago, people were like, what are, you, what are you, crazy? That's insulting. Well, where UNLV has been for, you know, the last eight years, they would strive. They would love to be the Cougars program. And by the way, the Houston Cougars, like this isn't being done with, you know, junk players and, you know, unknown transfers. He recruits at a high level. He's got, he's got arguably the best power forward, the best power forward in the country coming in as a freshman, the number one recruit at the position. And he's got another four-star guy. So... Houston's freaking chugging along. The other thing with this team is they're two, two of their three starting guards back in December went out for the year. Their leading scorer went out in December. Another good guard went out in December. They're shorthanded, and they're this good. And they, they freaking overwhelmed Zona last night. Overwhelmed them. They've got five players averaging double figures. Well, look at, look at two of them. Got, yeah, it, Two of them are out for the season. No, they, no, they... no that makes seven. Okay, so they that's have seven five then. current. How crazy is that? Seven of them total yep. are averaging double figures. Yep. So those two who played twelve games, okay, Marcus Sasser and uh, Tremont Mark. Yep. The other five are still averaging double figures. Now the depth isn't there, but what this defense is doing. Now I had a chance to see them over at Manley Bay, um, during that uh, event where Butler, Wisconsin, Oregon was involved. And uh, Wisconsin, that I was at that Wisconsin-Houston game. 
Actually, I think I was at the Oregon game as well. I was because I was covering so many of those tournaments that come to town and those uh, showcase events in November and December. But I watched that team, and that defense is phenomenal. And they put together a non-conference resume that you know they put them up against Virginia and Butler and Wisconsin or Oregon and Alabama and Oklahoma State before they got into AAC play. And you talked about those old Houston teams, right? That this that that this was once a power-packed program by Slamma Jamma. The year that they won that championship, they beat NC State. No, it's the other way around. NC State beat Houston. But UNLV got beat by one of those two teams. I think it was NC State with Valvano. NC State won it with the last second on the desperation shot. And then they grabbed it. And, and so the it tradition in. is there. The tradition is they there. The, the right history coach. is there. They're and recruiting. Like, so There's point, money behind the program. The facilities are good. And your point is, is correct in that UNLV can very well resurrect the program the same way that Houston did and is doing under Calvin Simpson. There's no doubt about it.